Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. And so, Father, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we get to this place tonight with an eye and with an ear and with a heart and a mind of expectation. The Holy Spirit is in this place. God Almighty indwells both us and the house of the Lord. We thank You for the presence of Your Holy Spirit. We thank You that You're Lord and God. And as we say this morning, I said it, I heard Jacques say it, why do we give to God in this time of thanksgiving? Precisely because You are God. And we give You a praise and a worship offering right now in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, you may take your seats. Thank you very much for this band. And I have some strangers on platform, but they're shifting around with Afrikaans is groot, but I think Jesus is baie groter as that. Can you say amen? How about Jesus is great? How about you saying Jesus is great? How about you say He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? But if you believe that Jesus is Lord and He's Lord of your life, stand up and give Him a proper praise offering. Shout hallelujah. 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 Amen. Well, you know what? Now those people staying at home tonight, they missed the entire revival. It's just like it is. As always, sorry you weren't there because the presence of the Lord is in this place tonight. Amen. I have an expectation. You know, something funny happened to me today. Real funny. You know, I, I, I get ready to go to church. And uh, you know, Pastor Tatu, you see that everything is right. And you take, and I put my jacket in the car and I'm sitting and I'm closing off with prayer walking the floor, eventually go to fetch board, then get into the car, we come to church. When I arrive at church, I find that my bag with my computer and my Bible is not here. I think with a couple of pastors, they would have had just about a heart attack on that one. But it ain't so with me, for sure it ain't not that. And so, with that being said, Maud's got a little story. I've, I've actually, she, I wanted to read it, you know, I actually, in the week, uh, actually for two weeks already, this has been with me and I'm thinking about Saul and Jonathan climbing up the mountain and uh, they're going to fight against the Philistines while um, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go up the mountain and Saul is sitting at Gibeah and they just, alles bang for die Philistine. In those days they were saying the Philistines are big. They forgot about the greatness of our God. God always shows up in times of trouble. When you think you're weak, you're actually being strong. You know, God's power shows up the best when you're weak. When you're weak, He does a mighty miracle. When you expect a mighty miracle, it happens in your life. Can you say amen? And so, you know, I, I, I said to Maud, you know, she said, well, I've got this whole thing about the battle that happened out there with, uh, in the same place in Israel. And at that time, the word mikmash comes into my, ha- into my head. And I thought, yeah, and I read, yeah, it is at Mikmash. So let Maud read the story of the battle now. Amen. I didn't forget my notes. <laughs> we, we have this constant joke with Harold. 
with the two cars. He'll put his jacket in one car and we'll go in the other car. So walking out tonight, I said, I see the suitcase and I said, the case, you, I don't know, he didn't hear me. And he walked out the door and I thought, okay, his case is in the car. He says, it's in the car. Praise the God, praise God. Um, he got here and it wasn't in the car. But that's not a problem. I'm going to read about a miracle. I just, can I just say something about the miracles in Israel? There's been incredible miracles in Israel. There's a, a DVD that was made by a, a, um, a newspaper. Uh, he was actually Jewish and this reporter, but he was an atheist. Well, he was Jewish, but an atheist. And they asked him to follow up because they'd heard of these stories. And one of the stories in 1967 was with the, uh, again, when Israel was, t was attacked. And uh, it was also on that special day of, of prayer and fasting. And uh, the Syrians, uh, Syria came down on them. And one of the vehicles had been blown up, was laying on its side. And four soldiers were hiding behind it as the Syrian tanks passed right by on the road. And these men were cowering and waiting for the vehicles to pass. And then they, knew they had to cross a minefield. They could not go on either side. They had to cross a minefield. And, the, you know, they had to go down on their knees and with their bayonet at the front, they, they had to feel all their knives. They had to feel where the mines were. But as they started out, the, it was a beautiful night. And the next moment, the moon just closed over. And the most terrible windstorm came up. And they were literally cowering as the windstorm blew past. And as it stopped, the moon came out again. And the whole minefield was exposed because of the wind. Israel has miracles. Amen. Oh, yeah. And this is a preparation for the story. Oh, and I yes. won't read the scriptures. I'll leave these two scriptures for you. During World War One, the biblical, it's called the biblical plans of World War One victory gained using the Bible. During World War One, a group of British soldiers arriving in Palestine, today the nation of Israel, they purchased Bibles, not necessarily for the purpose of prayer, but instead they were used to study the geography. The soldiers saw them as a great geographical resource as uh, to maneuver about the land. This would prove to be very beneficial to success in battle and in World War I victory using the Bible. Now, generations have applied the wisdom from many accounts in the Bible to their own lives. We do it every day. However, many of the questions, whether the settings and the historical, the history, of, the history is found in the biblical accounts and can they really be trusted as evidence? And of course, they are grounded in the real world. Well, what follows is a brief review of the passage, an example uh, of how relying on the trustworthiness of this account enabled the British forces to conquer the area that was a stronghold for the Ottoman Turks by mimicking a Bible or a battle plan as told in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, the biblica a biblical account tells of Jonathan, that's Saul's son, um, who decides to do something daring. He climbs with his armor bearer amongst the steep cliffs to the craggy rocks called Senar and Bozes. Uh, rather than going around 
when a squad of the enemy lookout, lookouts would have seen them and the Philistines uh, called for them to come up. They called them then the Philistines, but they were actually the Turks. Now, if you read it, and Pastor Harold's going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 14, it says, Jonathan seeing this as a sign, and Harold will read the signs that the Lord was with them. He went up, he overthrew the Philistines, throwing their army into panic and confusion, ultimately giving Israel the victory. This was in the time when the Philistines, and if you remember correctly, Goliath and David and the whole story had played off. Now, history repeats itself. Let's fast forward to General Allenby's troops in 1918, toward the end of the First World War. The British planned an attack in an area known as Mikmash. The Turks had entrenched in the same valley that the Philistines had been in 3,000 years earlier. The War Museum, you'll find this in the War Museum, one of the British majors, his name is Vivian Gilbert, he's in the War Museum, I thought the name Mikmash sounded familiar, so he was obviously a man that was familiar with the Bible. Searching passages in one of the recently purchased Bibles, he found it and he reported to his commanding officer. An excerpt from the historical account is in the Romance of the Last Crusade, and you will find that on, in the actual war museum, and it gives the, you can actually look it up if you go into Google, and so you will actually find the story. Now this tells us, the major read on how Jonathan went through the pass, or the passage of Mikmash between Bozes and Senna, and he climbed the hill, dragging his armor bearer with him until they came to a place high up about a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. So it was a flat area. Now the Philistines who were there were sleeping, and of course they awoke and thought they were surrounded. Now this is very interesting. Okay, he thought they were surrounded by a multitude of Saul's army and they fled. So what happened is Jonathan then proceeded and Harold's gonna read the scripture and he defeated the guys and of course there was an uproar and I just know the angels were involved and they immediately thought they were being attacked. So the Philistines who awoke thought they were being surrounded by the armies of Saul. They fled in disorder and the multitudes melted away. Then Saul attacked with his whole army. There was a great victory for him. He's first against the Philistines, and so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over into Beth Aven. Now, the brigade ma uh, major thought to himself, this pass, these rocky headlands, and the flat piece of ground are probably still here. Very little had changed in Palestine throughout the centuries. And he awoke the brigadier. Together they read the story over again, and the general sent out scouts who came back and reported finding this pass thinly held by, thinly held by the Turks, with rocky crags on either side, obviously being Bozes and Senna. Whilst in the distance, high up in Mikmash, the moonlight was shining on a flat piece of ground just big enough for a team to plough. Uh, the general decided then 
and there to change the plan of attack. And instead of the whole brigade, one infantry company alone advanced in the dead of night along the pass of Mekmash. A few Turks met and they were silently dealt with. We passed through Bozes, he says, into Senna, climbed the hillside, and just before dawn, he found himself on a flat piece of ground. The Turks who were sleeping awoke and thought they were surrounded by the armies of Allenby, and they fled in disorder. We killed and or captured every Turk that night in Mikmash, so that after thousands of years, the tactics of Saul and Jonathan were repeated with success by the British force. World War I victory over the Turks. Now British, the Major Gilbert, if he, had, if he had not recalled the Bible text, the battle may have ended quite differently. There is a common saying that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It usually refers to avoiding bad decisions that are a result of ignoring the past. However, the same can be said for repeating successes. Learning from the wisdom of history so that good outcomes are replicated. The British Army, were, they were able to study the terrain and the description of the Bible to know that this mikmash they were about to descend on was the same as the one described in 1 Samuel. The accounts in the Bible are rooted in reality. So what is so notable is that these soldiers put so much trust in the details of a 3,000-year-old narrative. It appears their trust was well placed. Keep thinking. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? If I look at uh, this um, scripture here, where uh, it talks about 1 Samuel 14. I've got power on this thing. 1 Samuel 14. And um, we have uh, Jonathan and the young man with him, his armor bearer, son of King Saul, wanting to go up the mountainside. And um, the armor bearer in verse 7 says, Do all that is in your heart. Turn thee, I be and behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. This year from the King James Bible. And so these two then advance. This is Micmash. There are two rocky cliffs there. And uh, they're climbing up the side of the mountain there. And uh, he said, um, he says uh, that if the Philistine says, come up here and we'll show you something, then we'll know that the Lord has given us the victory. If the Philistines say, stay where you are, they'll know that that's the opposite. The Lord did not give her the victory. So here's the funny thing, actually, if you think about it. The Philistines, which is the enemy at the most difficult spot there on the mountainside, had to say, come and we'll show you. We're going to show you a thing or two. And they would be very confident that they could deal with these two men as they went up there. And um, the Bible says, in verse number 13, it says, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and upon his feet. This is 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 13. 
Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20,000 men, just two guys. Now tell me something. Is it possible to take out a thousand men of you, just two people, but if God's with you, it's possible. You see, because God is just, that's where God's power comes in, like with Samson. And um, they were about 20, uh, yeah, and the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half an acre, half an acre of land, which is a yoke that mighty oxen would or might plow. And there was a trembling in the host now in the camp of the Philistines in the field and among the people, the garrison and the eldest spoilers. And they also trembled. And a great earthquake, earthquake quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And so at this point in time, they hit the panic buttons, as we would say, and the Philistines started melting away. Saul wakes up, he's in Gibeah. Here's the story. In the south, if you go... Let me take it from the south first. Maybe it's the easiest place. You're in Jerusalem. You're going north. Not far to a place where there's Ramah, where the prophet Samuel was buried. His tomb is there until this day. Right there, across from Naba, is Gibeah. Here, King Saul is sitting with 600 men. The Philistines have 30,000 chariots. They have 6,000 horsemen and a multitude of foot soldiers and they're waiting down there in the valley. They're ready to take on these 600 people with Saul. The rest of Israel are hiding in rocks, in the thicket, in cliffs, even in pits that they had for water pits that they would dug, that would well, dug those wells. They would take anything and go and hide there. And they were just like rats trying to get out of the way of this bunch of Philistines that were so plenteous. They said, can't even count that mass of people that were camped out there. Now these two men who had a heart of faith, the one was, of course, Jonathan. In the Bible, he comes across as a very righteous man. He is in a fellowship eventually with King David. And these two become real big friends. They enter into a covenant. And uh, Jonathan is always with David, on David's side. And here this righteous young man says to his armor bearer, let's go up there to those rocky cliffs. And now you can think for yourself, they're on their knees, the Bible says he's on his knees and hands. And here they're going up on the mountainside. And right above them now is the Philistines. Now the Philistines says, come up here and we'll show you now something. On the contrary, the invitation, which was a challenge, Jonathan and his armor bearer had decided that would be the key. That means God's given us the victory. If they speak those words, we got the victory. So they instantaneously react. They go up there and they slaughter those Philistines in that place of, let's say, about a half an acre of ground. And uh, they just take over. From that moment in time, God Almighty takes over. And from that moment in time that that happens, uh, it's like there's a shaking and a trembling 
in the camp of the Philistines. Now chariots or no chariots, horses or no horses, everything is being disturbed. There is an earthquake. Now they hit the panic stations and they now begin, the Bible tells us, in their panic, they started slaughtering each other and they just melted away. Saul wakes up in all of this and he says, let's go after them, cutting the story short. Now they chase the Philistines for several miles all the way to the valley of Ayalon. And uh, there it is as they go down the cliffs and down those roads that they just pick up whatever they get, they, you know, that the Philistines left behind. So they were so frightened, two men that took the initiative. But here's the thing. We always go in this life. I mean, I've been there and I'm sure all of you have been there. We have to climb mountains. Sometimes you have very difficult times. Sometimes you go and you think, have I got the strength to even face this? I remember the early years of this ministry when I was out there and we were in a tent, I tell you. We just a few people out there in the tent on the side of the Laratong Hospital. We just so few. And uh, I was praying. I mean, I was like praying and fasting. It was like total survival in every possible way. And I was just completely so yielded to God at that time. And at that specific moment in time, I remember how I, I said to the Lord, Lord, when I took over the church at that time from my predecessor, Nikki for the best days, those days, I said, Lord, why did I inherit a tent with tin chairs, no air conditioning? It's cold in that place. There are few people that remember those days, those far back days that, you know, I used to wear a tracksuit under my suit. Then we used to take blankets and we put over our laps, try and warm yourself, wear gloves, go in the winter. And then came the summer and the rains. And I remember in those summer rains, there were storms there that the people just told us about, that they were sitting in those chairs, those tin chairs, and there would be a lightning bolt and strike the one pole. And there were some people there and the sound system was gone. Now with that at the time, those days it was a man called Chris Snayman. He was still doing all the, the electricity and the stuff on those, those days on the sound system and controlling the sound. And I remember the guitarist, I can remember the, the other, the main singer, lead singer, and uh, all those people of those days, long way back. I remember one day we had this big, like a pillar effort over the platform. And I'd made an altar call, people came forward. And this whole device started falling forward. And I thought this is gonna flatten the people at the bottom. I grabbed hold of the poles. Somebody saw it, they also grabbed hold of the poles. We pulled them back upright. I remember one night, there was a storm and the people lifted their feet so that the water of the storm would go past on the cement, the cement floor that we had uh, put down in those days. It was amazing. It was wild out there. And I kept on saying, Lord, why did you give me such a place to take over from here? Why didn't you put me, if I stayed in the denomination, like those days I was the AFM, I would have been called. And they would uh, say, in fact, I was Dr. Muller, senior. Dr. Muller still said to me, take a church in Pretoria. Wanted me to go over and take a congregation there. And uh, I remember that they, that was like a, a very nice place. I think it was the old Hatfield Church in that days. In those days, they, they, uh, they let uh, the AFM Church have that. And uh, exactly where the site is, I don't even know. But I was invited to go there. And so there's a whole 
thing going on, stay in the AFM. But I wanted to go where God wanted me to be. And here I'm sitting with a tent and water on the floor and lightning and sound system failings. Eventually, the tent blows away. Now the women stand outside there crying. I went to the tent. I thought, what a, what a situation for a young minister. You know, here I've got my wife and my family to take care of. And I'm going to have to walk in faith. But a man comes. He's now gone on to be with the Lord. Heinrich Neumeyer. He writes out a check. He was a wealthy man. And he says, you got your tent back. So he put the tent up this time with double stitching against the storm. So we went through that. I remember that we had one time when that tent blew down. I remember we were in the children's tent. They could take about, if you really pack it in. I mean, really pack it in. It was a small tent. But he really do it like, like, like this, like sardines. We could get 600 people into that place, and it was terrible. I mean, you, if you can't turn this way or that way, it's just people everywhere. But the more wild it went, and the, and the worse the situation became, I remember that I just trusted in God. I just prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't care about these things. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on and tell you, Lord, I don't care if there's an uphill in front of me. In my heart, I've got the confidence. We're standing there next to Soweto, in between Soweto and Kachiso. We're standing there, and I said, Lord, I don't care about these things. I closed my curtains typically in those days because of this pressure that was on me at, in those days, this mountain that I had to climb. I would close my eyes, and I would just pray to God for good weather, right through the winter. I want to tell you, I saw the cold fronts coming in over this country. Every time I would pray, Lord, I don't want cold fronts on the highway on Sundays. I don't want it there by the Laratong Hospital. Forget it. I don't want, I don't want storms there. I don't need cold fronts. I don't need clouds. I need the sun to shine. I want to tell you, I close the curtains and pray in tongues for hours on end. Mort would know what I'm talking about. I would pray. Loud, go on in the middle of the night, ramble on, just go on. Take authority over the clouds, stop those clouds in Jesus' name. And the one morning we had special service with Dick Mills, one of the authors and contributors to the Spiritful Life Bible, Professor Dick Mills, and he was there with us also at our house, and we became friends. And uh, I said, Lord, I don't want this cold front. I don't want it. And that morning, I remember going out and looking. I told you this before. And I looked outside. The sky had opened with a ring all the way around. That tent was standing in the bright sunlight. There was hardly a wind. And the tent ran full of people. And we had marvelous church services. You know what I saw in those days? That the worst nights, the rainy nights, the stormy nights, the foggy nights, if I said to the people, tonight there's an anointing service, you couldn't get place for nothing in those tents. We would stand in that children's tent with the big tent blew down, look up at the sky, and you could see the stars through the holes in the roof of that children's tent. So bad it was. We were there. But we won't give up. I had a little book there that says, never give up. Never give up. Never, ever give up. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. In fact, our Redeemer is alive. I spoke to you about that this morning. And I remember those days that I can tell you miracle after miracle, God doing miracles, demons coming out like by the dozens of demons. There was a wave. There was a battle going on. 
So much so that we increased the prayer power of the church. I would come in every morning, five o'clock all the way through till the, the office staff started working and we just prayed. And I just prayed. And we cast out demons. Those people from, in those days, the Satanist movement, they would come and say, what are these people praying for? The demons are calling one another for help in the spirit. Now, they, these were into Satanism, witchcraft, divination, sorcery. And they would send demons against my house. They would send demons out in, against my house. Don't worry, that's okay. They would send demons against my house. Pastor Jock just got help there. They would send demons and those demons would turn back to them. Don't be distracted now, that's just nothing. Those demons would turn back to them and torture them and say, why did you send us against that man? You just go and help there. Don't worry. He watches over his word to perform. Can you say amen? In those days, I had that happening too. And I, I remember one night there was a young girl she was sent by another witch. That witch came across, went into, she sat right in the front here, and there's a blank spot over here. It's about right in that spot over there. Um, but in the tent now. And uh, about here somewhere, about the second row. And her face started turning and twisting, what they call shape-shifting. She became quite a different person. I looked at her one look, and she was drawing the attention. Everybody's looking at her. And at that moment in time, I just said, right, Take that woman out. My young men took her out to the back of the tent. There was a small tent. We used to call it the counseling tent with a cement floor. They had her on the floor there and the people around, both men and women were around casting out demons. Nothing was happening. And uh, I got into the car. In those days, we had a little red and white microbus combi. Had a little Volkswagen combi. And uh, we, we uh, I think there's a demon going out there. The way I read this thing now. You hear that? Give Jesus a praise offering. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering. Give the Lord a good praise offering. God is the God of miracles, I tell you. God is the God of miracles. God is the God of miracles. He's got a miracle for you. Though there are mountains in your way, Listen, let me tell you something on the top of those hills stood the Philistines. Today, we still see when we climb the mountain, you get right to the top and then you find there's problems. You go all the way to the top. You progress, you progress, you find demonic resistance. I remember way in those years, in those early years, there was, I'll get back to this lady on the, on the ground there with that uh, cement floor. In those years, I had visions how demons were trying to pull people down and stay on the level where they are that they would not be allowed to ascend and to mature and to grow spiritually. Saw these things. It's part of the prophetic anointing. This girl was on the ground. And so I got to this little red and white combi, microbus, got to there. And uh, at the back, we had a little prayer tent. And uh, there in those days, Jeanette Brill and those girls went in there. And they, they were praying there, doing intercession while I'm preaching. I'll get on the platform. It was so rough then in the spirit. I get on the platform and I'd instantly sense it's like flowing through in the spirit. One day, the next day there's resistance. You had this type of situation, call that girl, go cast out that demon. Go on with the church service, not gonna allow the devil to disturb the service. Okay, can you say amen? You don't allow that. And so automatically everybody looks there. 
Everybody's distracted. So you don't want that. That's exactly what the devil would want. Focus on the word. Focus on being built up in the faith. So this girl's on the ground. And the moment I came near, they said, make way for the pastor. So the people opened a, a doorway for me. And I looked at there. And the moment that thing saw me, he said, you're the one that we're after. Now, the moment she said that, I just felt myself get real, real. There's a fire that burned there of another nature. I looked at this. I thought, you devil, you're a liar. You think you can in intimidate God's people. Do you know that there's authority in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? There's authority in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of authority. Can you say amen? Did you know there's a thing called the full armor of God? You put on the armor of God. You pray up properly. You move into that place and you cast out demons and the devil and you tread upon his. The Bible says, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall by no means harm you. Shout hallelujah. I looked at that girl and I thought, no, suk jy maas vir moeilikheid hier so. Nie die meisie ek nie, maar die, die gochas. And I said, devil, because you've done this. And she was a witch and we knew that she was a witch because I had the reports and the feedback before the time. And I said, now therefore, because you've done this thing, you've challenged me as a servant of God, but you've also challenged the house of God, the almighty God, whose I am and whom I serve, is therefore the hand of the Lord shall be upon you and you shall be struck with blindness and you will not see the light of day until you've repented. She was blind instantly on the ground. She couldn't see. She didn't know what's going on. There she was. I remember that night, I just looked out and I saw her between two men, sort of carry dragging her to the car and they helped her back home and she was struck with blindness. But there was a witch that was using her in Krugersdorp of the satanic movement. And she, they, she was like a human chalice, like a conduit. From there, they would distribute into the tent services. Those days, they would try and disrupt the church by these demons interfering in the spiritual realm, causing resistance. Hence, I had these people doing intercession while I was busy praying or preaching. And so... So she was blind. But that witch sitting in Krugersdorp was also at the very self-same instant she was struck with blindness also. Both of them. She gave a heart to the Lord that night at midnight. She repented and her eyes opened. Later on, we would hear the testimony. She came in to share that testimony with me and Pastor Tians. But moreover, the witch that was in Krugersdorp six weeks later, died while being still blind. She died as a blind person. So you don't mess around with the house of God. I said, you don't mess around with the house of God. Can you give the Lord a praise after this? Place? You don't mess around with the house of God. Now I know that people go through hard times. I want to tell you something more than I had resistance. We had difficult times. We had kinds of real difficult times that we could talk to nobody else. I had no help from nobody in the body of Christ. There were church leaders, but they always thought, well, you know, Harold Strong, he can go on with us. I just carried on. And we'd have, we'd have difficult times, I tell you, 
God sorted out the storms. God sorted out the clouds. He sorted out those weekends would go, we would have in that period of time, we were in that tent until we left it. It was a time that was cloudless and sunny on Sundays. I remember so very well how the people would come in. There was one Satanist coming from the Satanist movement. They brought him in from Germany to take me on. He was so-called, they're all high priests. But now he's this little Bokvit, you know, space cadet. And I'm just praying. We're in a flow. We're praying for people. We're going down the road. We're praying for people. Boom, 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 boom. Praying for the people. And uh, as I'm coming up to him now, he's here from Germany. And as I'm coming up towards his direction, he thought now this is his moment. He'd now been fasting that he would be able to attack me. So he did a big mistake. He grabbed my arm. And afterwards that he came to his senses, he said it was like taking hold of a live wire of high voltage. He was knocked down. I thought, whoa, this man's ground, head on that cement floor. Boom, you could hear every mealy there. All I mealies is lost now. And I thought, ooh, this is bad. This is real bad. Anyway, I just went on praying for the people, pray for the people, pray for the people. We went on with that thing and then eventually got back. He's on the ground. Now he'd been right there, went into the spirit because that's what they do. And he saw a holy angel, this angel standing between him and behind him, a huge fallen angel. And he's saying to the fallen angel, you don't touch this bad, he's coming into the kingdom of God. God filled him with the Holy Spirit, came from Germany, went back a Christian. See, I say, Jesus is Lord. I say, Jesus is Lord. I say, Jesus is Lord. We still have authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. Can you say amen? We have the authority of the anointing. The problem with Christians is when you have an uphill, even if you reach the top of the mountain and there's a bunch of demons up there, then you keep going because God is with you. He opens a door unexpectedly at 99.9.9.9%, but He opens the door. I am He who opens the door and no man can shut it. I am He who closes the door and no man can open it. He breaks the chains, but He doesn't break His Word. What He promises, He performs His Word. Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my Word to perform. So we come through a very difficult period of time in this country's history. Not only is there the economical instability, there's problems with power. You know the power story. It's a ridiculous story. Should never have happened in this country. Never. The whole railway system story. The whole, there's so many of these stories. You can put them all together and make a summary of them. It's ridiculous what's been happening. But I'll tell you tonight that regardless of all of the storms in every direction over the, over the horizon, doesn't matter which way you look at it, regardless of any storm and all storms, if you keep yourself focused on the Lord, and you keep your devotion right with God. He watches over His Word to perform in your life. God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on Him. If you're there and you're, you're experiencing a mountain, 
You know, there was a time now with this COVID story that people really got sick. And, uh, and I remember how that it was, it was terrible. Maud lost close family members, her sister, her brother also, and then her uncle Stephen. And there was more people. They all, they were dying in every direction. It was like, you know, what was left of Maud's family was very little. Just one brother-in-law that we have in Peter Maritzburg and his two daughters, and that's it. Basically, that family, you can't believe it. We got married so many years ago. There's the family. So many years later, family's gone. Here we are. You say, no, okay. But I'll tell you this. I've stuck it out with God. I've never let go. I have never let go. The Bible, there's a little book that I told you about. Never let go. You don't let go. You don't lose the anointing on your life if you covet the anointing, if you look for the anointing, if you seek the presence of God in your prayer life, you don't lose it. Those old Pentecostals of those days, because I was in touch with the previous generation. Now, I've come a long way and those guys are gone. But yet we're still keeping going. And we're on the road. And I think to myself, Lord, what is it? What is the revelation of this time? that is necessary for a nation like South Africa. Now, let me tell you something. If you really seriously look at, I've mentioned this before, at the statistical uh, reflection of Christianity in this country, we're talking 83.5%, which equates to 82 million people, 82.988, almost 83 million people in this country that say, we're Christian, that say we're Christian. So why am I saying and why am I telling you that again? Because it dwarfs any other movement immediately. If you talk about Christianity, they are dwarfed by Christianity, the other cults and religions and whatever you want to mention. Put together, they're each small, insignificant. Here's my prayer as I walk around at home. I'm thinking about it all the time. Lord, I pray that you waken up the body of Christ in this country. You bring us into unity, the unity of the Spirit. You grant us a national revival of the Christian church. You cause church leaders to come together to stop saying, I've got my church, you got your church, and that sort of thing, and have some, some kind of doctrinal arguments and all sorts of other stuff, and little divisions and little pernickety things that cause divisions. It's time for the power of the Holy Spirit to ignite and to refire the entire body of Christ in this country. I prophesy life, life, the move of the Spirit in South Africa. Awaken therefore in Jesus' name, O body of Christ in this country. Give the Lord a praise offering right now. Can you imagine when the wind of the Spirit blows upon the whole body of Christ. I meet people everywhere I go. They come to me from all tongues and kindreds and tribes and of, of any nationality or wherever they're from in this country, whatever their background is, wherever region of the country they come from. You talk about all the communities. They come to me and I speak to them and we're the best of friends always, 
always, in the kingdom of God, we're all just one at the foot of the cross. Jesus is Lord of our lives. And I love them, and they love me, and I talk to them. I walked into a place the others just in this week, and there was an Indian community in that particular case. And uh, Maud and I walked in there, and uh, we got some time off. We walked into the door, and, 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 and as we're there, um, I have a person say, Pastor, Pastor, greet me. And then he wants a picture with me and him. So I go, just walk down the passage, another one, Pastor, Pastor. And then another one, same story. It happens. And then the other one also said, I want to stand quickly and take a picture with you. They're just so glad to be able to see you and speak to you and just be there. To them, it's a big thing. And I realize that when you're in Christ, barriers between people disappear. There is no barriers. We love everybody. Can you say, give the Lord a praise of it. We love everybody. Amen. Both Maud and my, both our parents were like that. We never had issues. We never looked at this whole thing with this racial nonsense that's going on. That's been out there like a demon of hell for years and years tormenting this nation where God gave a land and He gave people and of those people, almost 83 million say, tick on the national statistics, I'm also a Christian. You go into a restaurant, yes, I'm a Christian. Wherever I go, yes, I'm a Christian. Now I'm saying, my heart for this nation is this, uphill or downhill? All the troubles, yes, but God lives, but God is in control. And God can restore this nation like that. Can you say amen? And we will pray for this land. Every Saturday morning, we'll pray here for this nation. We will not stop our prayers. We'll pray for this land until the time that God gives us the breakthrough. I believe like in the book of Ezekiel, where you have the dry bones in that valley of Ezekiel, that vision in Ezekiel chapter 37 and 36, 36, 37, up to 38. And of course, we have that battle with Russia. But in the preceding chapters, he has the vision in the valley of the dry bones. Like there are all these dry bones of, of dead and deceased. And he begins to prophesy over, over all these bones. And then suddenly they begin coming together. And then their sinews formed and muscles and whatever. And the Lord clothes them and they rise onto their feet. And he says, son of man, this is the army of God. Now tonight I would say, that therefore, whatever is in this country, no matter how backslidden, no matter how people have cooled down, no matter how they've forgotten, no matter how poor they are, how rich they are, wherever they come from, I don't care. You know, I always say, Jesus, if Jesus was around, where do you think he'll be walking around? In the rich suburbs? And that's not a knock at anybody that's rich. There's nothing wrong being rich. But I'll tell you what, Jesus came to bring the gospel to the poor people. Can you say amen? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. Blessed are the poor. We see these people troubled, struggling, often wonder how do they make it through the night? How do they make it through the night? How do they make it through the winter? How do they make it? How do they survive? Where do they get water from? What do they drink? What do they eat? What clothes? We're feeding at 100 miles an hour as many poor people as we can. You know, if there's a mountain to climb, we take it on. We help people. That's what we do. We see a nation where I believe if this situation like the vision of the dry bones come together, 
then God is going to change this nation. Arising on its feet is the body of Christ by the wind of the Spirit over nations. And not just this nation, the whole of Africa. I one day looked at uh, a situation, somebody said to me, if you take Africa, it's almost like a revolver, like a gun. You take it like that, it's almost like the shape of a gun. If you look at Africa, the large shape of the, of the total continent is like a gun. And uh, if you point, the point of the gun would be Cape Town. And a man came and said to me, the fire will be ignited in the south and burn all the way up into Africa. We'll have revival from the south to the north. God is faithful. I believe tonight you're very privileged to be in the house of God. And you know what? You're very much loved. From this platform, by every pastor and everybody, loving everybody in this church, and let it be so to the glory of God. Let me tell you, we're taken care of. We here are taken care of. Out there are people struggling. As long as you keep your focus on God, God will look after you. No matter what your situation is, no matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, I sometimes, I must tell you, and I really, you know, Ntatu, I really don't have a problem with anybody being rich. They could be as rich as they want to. I don't, I don't care about that because I don't care about those things. But you know, to me, it's just like, is that soul on the way to heaven or is that soul not on the way to heaven? That's the function of the body of Christ. And moreover, if you go out in the world tomorrow, you've got to go and work, you've got your things to go and do, and you're facing mountains, just don't give up. Never give up. Always know, as long as Jesus is alive in your heart, God will take you through every storm. Can you say amen? Now give the Lord a praise after giving one. Amen. Amen. How many of you have been facing storms this year? Wow. All right. If you want me to pray for you, and break that yoke of the devil against you in anything, then come forward. I'll pray for you. Doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to pray for you now. Let the Spirit of God help you tonight. You're loved. All of you are loved. Can you say amen? You know, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you love all the people in this place? Then make it a lifestyle. How many of you love the people around you? Can you give the Lord a good praise offering right now? Amen. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to have the band make music for us in the background. They can play whatever they want to play. I'm just coming around. I want the pastors to join me. All those pastors come along to the front. Somebody come to me with a bottle of olive oil so that I can just anoint my hands. And then I pray for the people all the way through. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.